Yes, David D'Agostino tapped into a good groove here as we intro the Man on Second podcast here on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frisaro, joined by Dave D'Agostino, our producer and song uh, provider and does everything else. Uh, and, and what a week we have. We are... This week, we've had the World Baseball Classic. We're going to jump into that in a minute with our special guest, Stan Meek, who is no stranger to the show. Stan's one of our favorite guests, and we're always happy to have him back on. But before we dive into that, uh, we're going to bring Dave in with some announcements. Hey, Dave. Hey, great to have you guys here and glad to have Stan back today, especially with where we're at in the baseball season. He has tons of experience in both regards. But to our our faithful audience out there, we've eclipsed 14,300 subscribers very excited, very appreciative of what everybody's doing. Continue to download, listen, like, and subscribe so we can continue to bring you great baseball content. We've had a full, full set of shows this week. We're coming on strong at the end of our spring training. Uh, also engage us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and I've been answering a question of the morning on Facebook. You guys pulled me out of my cave to get into social media world. So one question a day live, but we had over 700 questions today, Joe, with three shows wow. recording today. I'm almost done in between the hour in between shows. I'm getting back to people. So by the end of the day, I'll get back to everybody. I promise. And uh, whatever your streaming device, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, make sure that we're queued up. So as soon as our show comes out, you get noticed. Uh, with that, Joe, I'll let you get to our special guest today. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting times. And, and, you know, Stan, he was uh, my first guest and, and we have rapidly grown. I always enjoy having Stan on um, and to get his insights and everything. Uh, Stan, of course, a former special assistant uh, with the Miami Marlins, a longtime director of amateur scouting, one of the best in the business at overseeing MLB drafts, uh, did a remarkable job with the Marlins drafting, you know, the great players like Stanton, Yelich, um, Real Muto, and, Stan, you know, and, and down the line, Josh Johnson. And, and um, Stan recently was in Arizona where he saw Team USA play out there. I'm, of course, in South Florida, and I was in Miami for many of the games at the WBC. Uh, real exciting time. Stan, welcome, my friend. Glad to be here. Glad to be with you guys again today. Sounds like it's going to be some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Stan, let's just jump right into the WBC, because you know, my thoughts are this are on several uh, levels, and I want to touch first with the spectacle of it, and then we'll get into kind of the games of it. But I really think, you know, in terms of the spectacle, I thought it was a home run for, for Major League Baseball, for baseball in, in general. Um, and I, I also believe the reason it was stand so popular is I think this was the baseball event where the fans drove the, the story. I think they were the MVP, not Shohei Otani, not Trey Turner. The fans were because they made it a classic. Uh, just your thoughts on that. You experienced it out at Chase Field. Yeah, it was it was really it was really unbelievable. I, I just couldn't get over how excited the people were. They were dressed up. They had all the regalia on. Uh, it was a real happening, and it it was so loud. I mean, the place again. Anytime you get those venues that are full or close to full, and that one was full out in Arizona, uh, it just creates a great atmosphere. And it's really what you know. I think what baseball should be. I mean, when you get that atmosphere, I guarantee you it changes the level of intensity of the guys on the field and how they play. So, so the atmosphere of the thing is really like none other I've ever been around, even in a World Series situation. I think this is even greater than that. So, uh, from that standpoint, I think it absolutely was a home run for MLB. Yeah, and and you know, down here in South Florida, we've had a hard time selling the place out, and and Lone Depot Park was packed for like all like eight or 10, 11 days, however long it was, uh, double headers were sold out. And it literally started, Stan, I was there for day one on March 11th. At noon, they went um, Nicaragua against Puerto Rico. And I was thinking, okay, I'm there. That's the warm-up game because Venezuela is playing the DR that night. And that's, where, that's the main event. And that play, Stan, was ear-piercing loud at noon. And it was both yeah. sides, Puerto Rico, Nicaragua. And I'm like, and that's why afterward, then the main event happened that night, two straight sellouts. And the first time we ever had in in Marlin or South Florida baseball history, 71, 72,000 people, when you count everybody up, at one place, one day to watch baseball. And obviously, we yeah. were at World Series back in 03 with like 65,000, but there was nothing like that in terms of spectacle. 
No, it was great. It, I, I watched a lot of that. And, uh, you know, that ballpark, of course, having been in it when there's not a lot of people in it, uh, it was really exciting to see it full and see people excited. And it shows you what can happen down there. Um, but it, it, it really is a great venue to watch baseball in. And it is loud. And I was I was really excited for the people of South Florida to have that thing going on. And it just shows you that uh, what the possibilities are in, in that part of the that part of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think it was, I think the, like you noted, the players being energized, I think that kind of, and, and this is just kind of my two cent take. I think that baseball is looking at it as, you know, the world baseball classic more as an infomercial for the sport, you know, who really won or lost wasn't th- their top mission. Obviously I think they have preferences that wanting like USA or DR in you know, Japan in the finals. Uh, but I think that they were just as long as it energizes people and, and, you know, gets people, you know, paying a little more attention to spring training or, you know, this time of year to lead into the season. And I think that Team USA, especially with all the superstars and all the, the people that might have been skeptical, it made them, I think, fall in love with it. Because I know that the Venezuelan players, the Dominican Republic players from Puerto Rico, they play winter ball. And, you know, the, around the world. They're energized to play in games other than Major League Baseball games. And I think that the fans themselves and the energy and the event and the spectacle brought the media into it. When the media, there's a lot of skeptical media was, oh, how much do we want to cover it? They all wanted to cover it after a while. And and then obviously on the field, the players just bought in and, and you saw the level of intensity. When was the last time you saw Major League, the complete ball club, along with a coach on the field at home plate after a home run? When, no, when uh, you know, World when the shortstop, was, I mean, yeah, yeah. So we hit the home run and hit the grand slam. Trey Turner hits a grand slam. And it was like they were back in high school again. The whole team's at home plate, jumping high five and going crazy. And, you know, and again, I understand, you know, baseball's a business to a degree. But to fans, it's an exciting sport, and you could tell how much, how, how engaged they were in that game and what it meant. And you know, when you put that USA on your chest, it changes everything. And and I think you know, I told JT Realmuto, I said, I'm just telling you, it'll be the craziest and greatest thing you've probably ever done in your life is playing that event. And I know he was in a World Series last year, so uh, I just think it was, as you said, great for the sport. And we, it was a time, too, it was a time when we need, I think, good things happening in our game. And, it, boy, there's, you can't get much better than that as far as getting ready to go into to a regular season to have that thing tee it up for everybody. Yeah, and for our listeners, Stan's an Oklahoman and, uh, and JT Realmuto, of course, from Oklahoma. And, and Stan's known JT since his high school days and his family. And out in Arizona, uh, Stan, you got a chance to bump into JT's dad, I believe? Yeah, I did. In fact, it was great because uh, JT hits right here in town, uh, like in the wintertime. So I went and saw him hit one day and he said, you need to come to the WBC out in Arizona when we play. And I said, sure, I'll come out. You know, I said, you know, he said, I'll grab you tickets. Not a problem. So I go out there the other day, my wife and I went out. I walk up to the will call and um, there's JT's dad. And he's got a little frustrated look on his face. And I go, Mr. Riamuto, what's the problem? He, he goes, can't. They don't have my tickets. Can't get my tickets. He goes, and I saw yours tickets in there, of course, but mine aren't there. So, so I got his, I got my tickets and, uh, he, for some reason, couldn't get his tickets. So he had to text JT and text the agent, I think, and then text the team secretary and all that. So while he's out there working on his tickets, I was in, uh, kind of getting ready for the event. So, uh, it, it was fun. It was a great event and it was great to see his dad again. Yeah, yeah. I hope he got into the ballpark. If not, he has some explaining to do. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they're laughing it off right now. Dave, jump in. I'm sure you have something to talk about. Yeah, Stan. You mentioned about wearing that USA on the front of your jersey. How it changes things. You have a unique experience with USA Baseball as a player, um, and against the team that beat us in this classic. Could you share that a little bit with our audience? Just what it, what it, went, what it meant to you to wear that jersey, but also the significance of that event. Yeah, I, I was it's great. Now, we're going back to when probably most of these listeners weren't even alive. <laughs> but in seven, 1974, I was picked to play on the U.S. It was a collegiate team, so it wasn't to this magnitude, you know, the professionals. But on a collegiate team uh, to go to Japan and play the, what was a third annual, then they'd started it in 72, uh, played over there in 72, back here in 73. 
And so then we were back over there. They alternated sites. So in 74, we went over to play, uh, to play Japan and, uh, their collegiate team. And I, you know, it was a, it was crazy because it was just, you know, not sim- similar really to what uh, this was the other day. And uh, they're very good players and they're very disciplined uh, players, but I really was taken so taken back by the fans and by the people. And they're so gracious, so humble. Uh, and, and they applauded good plays on, on either side of the game. And while they were really wanted to win, uh, you know, they, they really were baseball fans. And so we were fortunate enough and I found this out later, but in, in 74, we beat them in the, in the seven game series, four games to three. And we won the last game, uh, game seven in the last inning to win the series four to three. And I think it might've been 2010 or 2012, George Horton was taken, uh, George is a college coach had won a national championship at Fullerton and, he was taking uh, the USA team over there and he asked me to come speak to the club because at that time, since 1974, the USA collegians had not beaten the Japanese in Japan and they got to the final game and lost. And so to my knowledge, I think our team in 74 was the last collegiate um, USA collegiate team to win the USA Japan collegiate world series in Japan. So proud of that and yet we need to we need to start winning a few of those over there but they're good players i'm telling you they're good players and they start at young ages just like we do here very disciplined and it is a remarkable remarkable fan base when you go there and and get involved in that what makes them so good yeah what makes them so good stan hopefully dan Yeah, so I think what makes their system so good is that I, I think they're such a disciplined people that when they when they start, I won't tell you at six or seven years old, they're working on fundamentals, they're working on their deliveries, they're working on different phases of the game, and they take it very seriously. It's it's a serious thing for them, and I think their discipline of work ethic and how they go about their business. There's there's no messing around. There's no you know it's 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 we're serious about the game, and. Uh, I think they really appreciate the game and, and how hard it is to play. And so I think, you know, and, and, and it's a team thing. They're always willing to give up themselves for the team. In other words, if they need to sacrifice month, they sacrifice fun. If they need to hit and run, they hit and run. I don't care if it's the biggest star in the game. So they play the game really as a team. They start that at a very young age. And I think it really helps them uh, integrate their abilities within a bigger system as they grow up. So it, it's really impressive to me. Yeah, I remember, you know, Warren Cromartie played over there many years and, and is kind of still an iconic, um, you know, former player over there. And, of course, Crow was, he lives in South Florida. And, and he always talked about in Japan how they would work, I don't know the time, but you say like maybe 20 minutes or, or an hour on outfield cut, hitting the cutoff, man. you know, drills like that. It's you know, just the attention to detail on all phases of that. And, you know, Stan, obviously in South Florida, we got a case of that when Ichiro played, you know, about four or so years with the Marlins and obviously towards the end of Ichiro's career. But you could still see the work ethic and and the the passion that Ichiro brought to the ballpark every day. Yeah, it, it, what I would say, too, is that what I watched. And again, it just brought it it just really brought it back to me a lot, back to those memories of being over there. You know, if someone can tell me which of those Japanese pitchers had a bad delivery, I'd like to know which one it was. Every one of them had very good, very sound deliveries. Uh, They knew exactly what they were doing. And that's why their deliveries are so good. That's why all of them are great strike throwers. And they can throw all their pitches over the plate pretty much when they want to. So it makes it really tough on hitters because, you know, you can't narrow things down as much because those guys are, you know, again, they're ahead in the count. They just do a lot of great things, but that is not by accident. That is absolutely by design and how they play. And so it's impressive whether it's with the bat or whether it's a defense or whether it's on the mound, they, they really have a good feel to, to develop their players. Yeah. Stan, what else did you think went right with the, um, uh, with the classic, you know, we, we touched on the spectacle, we touched on, you know, the passion aspect. What, what else did you see going right for the classic? 
Well, again, I, I thought the camaraderie of the players, you know, just on all the clubs. I mean, there was a team concept going on with all of the teams rather than, you know, so much in these kind of events, I think, you know, especially maybe with the U.S. probably that you have a bunch of stars together and, you know, they just go out there and do what they do. But there seemed to be pretty quickly everybody molded into a team concept. Uh, and because, again, you're you're playing for that the name across the front of your chest. And I think that means a lot, you know, again, we know that baseball, professional baseball is a, it's a, you know, for a lot of the guys, it's money, but I would, I would tell you that every one of those guys play. And if you told them, you know, that they could play for whatever that they play for the fact they love the game. Yeah. And they, again, with, with that comes a lot of money, but the idea of playing for a team, being part of a team, and I think it starts with guys back in when they're playing Little League. But being part of a team is a big thing. And I thought I saw throughout the Classic with all the teams, especially you know, especially probably the Latin team, well, in Japan as well, they all play with a team concept. And I think, I think the USA adapted to that. And I think as they went along, they really kind of melded together to really form a, a good team. And uh, it, was, it was fun to watch in that regard. Yeah, you know, that's where I'm going to put, and I'm not – you know, we're going to get over now to what what went wrong in, for Team USA, and obviously losing to a great team in a great country like Japan by a run in the championship game. You could say, and I get it, anything could happen in baseball in a one game thing. But you know, if I had to have a you know any uh, little criticism of Team USA, it would be in the fact, and you kind of touched on it, we melded into a team. You know, and it was I think they're kind of forced because everybody else was there. And I got a kind of question, was Mark DeRosa, you know, a guy who'd never managed before? And obviously he's a good baseball man and MLB Network and popular. And Andy Pettit, a pitching coach, and Griffey Jr. hitting batting practice home runs. It's all well and good. But, did you know, I, I would think, you know, when putting this team together, if USA is serious about wanting to win it, to, to maybe get a team that is more, you know, of a, a team concept. And, and Case in point, uh, obviously, you know, you, I think we had just our, we ran out our superstars and just thought talent enough would be enough. Uh, from what I understand, a lot of other countries were ahead of us in scouting the other the opposition, knowing who they were pay, playing. And I get it; it's it's you know, you know, it, it's still an event. But I, I'm not sure we had our our best focus to to win this event and. It seemed more like guys were happy to be there. And it's encouraging that a lot of players really embraced it. But, you know, I, I think these other teams really were a little more better functioning. I think Benji Gill in Mexico managed great. Uh, the Japanese manager managed great. I don't think we were, you know, managed great. Well, I, I think part of it is we don't really know exactly, you know, what uh, what the manager was with our with our manager, what he had as far as what the clubs were telling me could or couldn't do with this pitching, because you know, in any event, and I know we had a bunch of superstars, you know, on the field playing pitching wise, I didn't feel like we had probably as good a pitching overall as we could have brought there maybe. Um, but again, we don't know what major league baseball is telling their guys is who can, who can go and who can't go and what the ramifications are, what the, you know, what the situation is for each one of those guys as they, as they go to that thing. So he might've been managing under a little bit of a different circumstance. I would say this, I would think that this event with all the excitement it brought, and I would think now we've already made the decision, right, to go back in 26 and do this again. So I would think it would give us time to decide, okay, how do we want to put this together? And we need all of Major League Baseball to come together and say, okay, you can have our guys. We, we want to win. We, we, we have great players here. We have a lot of great players here. We want to win. And if you have everybody at your disposal, then as a manager, I mean, Mark DeRosa can then go, okay, what, or whoever's managing, what fits to make this club right? What kind of left-handed, right-handed pin pieces do I need? How much am I going to get from the starters? What can I do with those guys so I can build my staff? Because at the end of the day, we can put as good of players on the field as anybody in the world. But the key to winning the thing to me is that this is the pitching staff that you're rolling out there. I mean, when you got Otani closing, and you've got, you know, they went through a bunch of different kind of guys. But to me, to me, if we have, if we have the really good people, the best people that we have in, in baseball to do that, then, uh, then I think we could, we could really put a good club together, but we've got to, I think, open it up and everybody say, Hey, this is a big event. We want to win. 
We just don't want guys there to, to represent our country. We want to win it. So who are the, who are the best guys to do that? And we have everybody at our disposal. I think we can. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, and those are excellent points. And and obviously, Derosa was was dealing with what a team may or may have told him of how much that guy could be used. And um, but you know, I'll make this case, and uh, that you know, the Daniel Bard situation. He he throws the pitch that that breaks the hand of Altuve. Well, you know, Bard's a hard thrower. Spring training. He's you know, I'm just wondering if. Every, if everything was running right, would Bard have been throwing more regularly instead of, I don't know, his complete usage? Maybe he'd been a little sharper if if Team USA could manage how they wanted to use him rather than the Rockies from afar saying, oh, if he's up, he's in the game, or or he's throwing every fourth day or whatever, and and there's no flow or rhythm to, to the workout. On the flip side, we had a kid, if I'm the Royals, I would not have been very happy that Bobby Witt Jr., who I think is going to be a superstar in this game, gets like one at bat in like two weeks. And he's just a designated pinch runner, like, and just eyes open and, and learning to osmosis. That kid needed to have been playing. Um, Cedric Mullins wasn't playing. You know, uh, you know, Jeff McNeil, who drew that really good walk in the ninth inning, you know, he got benched because Tim Anderson, you know, started playing. It. I think that there was things that using the the roster a little bit better, I think they could have done a little better job at that. Yeah, possibly. The, the only thing I would say is that, that you know, uh, you can only put nine on the field at one time and they've got to decide kind of who those guys are. And if you keep switching people in and out, the thing for me would be that you never really get that continuity in terms of a lineup you're trying to build and work off of. So I kind of see it both ways. I think the, I think the answer to me is that, 30 clubs need to say, we're all in, we're all in. You, you do it however you want to do it. You've got access to all of our guys and all the healthy players and you're all in and then build that club, how you think that club should be built and then have the players go all in and say, uh, Hey, we're ready to go, whatever it takes. Now, yes, say a Bobby Witt situation. I hear what you're saying, but I would, I bet, would bet you if you asked Bobby Witt today, would you rather been in spring training or would you rather been, and, and get oh. two at bats and, and whatever. I think Bobby Witt would say, absolutely greatest experience in my life. So, yeah, I mean, yes, I, it's easy. It, yeah. You know, obviously, because Stan, he's, yes, he's going to say that he's in the team. I'm probably the, you know, the contrarian on that point of view. But I'm, I'm just wondering if that, and yes, you could, you could spend two weeks not getting a lot work, uh, work done back in, in Arizona as well. But, you know, I just, I just thought the construction of the roster should have been a little bit, a little bit better. Yeah. Well, again, that, that again, I think that's because they were having to decide, you know, can we use this guy and how much and whatever. So I think, I think the key is getting everybody to say, Hey, we're all in, we want to win this. You got access to whoever you want and then let those guys build their club off that. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. Uh, kind of piggybacking off that stand, you know, take a look at the NBA and they went through this, uh, you know, way back when the rest of the world caught up and we were just sending superstars and it wasn't good enough anymore. And they named Mike Krzyzewski the the national coach. And then they had Jerry Colangelo as kind of the general manager. Could Major League Baseball, I mean, could you walk through the logistics of that working in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I think that could I think that could work fine. I mean, I think you decide who the guys you want to run it. You know, they did it with Leland. I thought Leland was a great guy because he was, you know, when they won it. And he was a great manager and had experience doing it. And I think he had such respect from all the players that nobody would question who he's going to play or whatever. But it was everybody working together. And then take some, you know, and again, I think the one thing on a DeRosa, no knock on DeRosa. I mean, he, he's a good baseball man. I think experience in that job, uh, like a Krzyzewski in basketball, a very experienced guy as a manager that could walk in and decide, okay, here's how I want my lineup to flow based on what I know is available at the major league level for me to use. Here's how I want my pen to work. And here's how I want it. You know, here's how, I, how many left-handers I want, how many right-handers I want. I think once you establish, because there's, you know, you could, it's not like you can go pick, you know, whatever the number would be on the team and go, well, that's the best in the world because there's a lot of good guys out there. So finding yeah. kind of the delivery that works for a left-hander that's a little different that, that would fit maybe against tougher on left-handed hitters, however you want to design it. But I, I think that in basketball made sense because just because you put a bunch of great players together doesn't mean they're a great team. So trying to trying to find how that, how that roster would work uh, based on a, a – 
experienced manager's mind and how he sees it. Now he put, puts it together in his mind as he's watched these guys in previous years would I think do a lot to put our lineup together and do a lot to put our staff together to, to have a better chance of winning the whole thing. Yeah. And good, kind of build that continuity that you spoke about in regards to the Japanese team, let's say where the little things, the, the bunting, the cutoffs, the, the things that we, the, the moving the ball around the field, I think even though we have as, you know, the best talent in the world, um, that goes a long way to winning those, especially the close games. We saw a 3-2 battle right there. Um, would you throw your hat in the ring for that? Oh, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? That would, that would be the greatest thing greatest thing in the world. You know, the cool thing is, like the Japanese, like you say, they're willing, and I haven't been over there just a, many, many, many years ago, but they're, those guys literally get their ego completely out of the way uh, when they're playing as, the, as Team Japan. And if, they, if, you ask, if you ask Otani to bump the ball because there's nobody over at third, you ask Otani to bump, which you, know, you wouldn't do, but if you ask him to bump, I guarantee he wouldn't hesitate. He would like do this. it. And so we've kind of created in our, in, our, in our country here, we've created, you know, there's a, a lot of guys making a lot of money and the way they make money is they hit the ball in the seats. So I think, you know, would we, I still believe though, that if you put all those guys together and say, we're going to go win this as a team and Jim Leland or whatever says, okay, it's first and second, nobody out. We we're down a run or what we need to bump. We knew whatever, if he believed we're going to bump these guys up that our guys would do that with no, with no hesitation because you see it in the playoffs, right? When we get to the playoffs, all of a sudden there's a guy bunting. He's never bunted, you know, all year or whatever. And you, you know, or you see a guy going two innings plus in relief. He's only got an inning the whole year. Things change because they want to win. Yeah. And if we, we want to win situation. bad enough, and, and I believe we do, we want to win badly enough. And I, I just watching those players, I know they want to win. I think they'll say, Hey, will you set it up? We'll do whatever you need to do to try to win this thing. Well, USA was in that situation first and second, no outs. And, our, our probably our best hitter, Mike Trout, was up uh, first and second, no outs. And I turned to my son Tanner, who was watching with me. I said, "Do you bunt him? Do you move him over?" And they didn't. Uh, he ended up popping up, and then uh, I think it was Real Muto or not Real Muto, um, uh, Goldschmidt grounded into a double play, inning over. And yeah. first and second, no outs in a one-run game. We had one run at that time. So again, easy well, to be that uh, you know devil's advocate after the fact, but just just what you're talking well, about. You know- yeah, but here's, I think here's what happens because we've created this thing. And that's why I talked about the Japanese doing it from age five, six or seven, all the way up. Do you think, when's the last time you think that Mike Trout bunted oh, in his life? Probably yeah. when he was 11 years old. So, so he, he probably, he, it sounds crazy, but he probably have a hard time doing it. We don't practice it. They don't. I mean, that's not how they get paid. Right. So. I think the Japanese, you know, do a better job of developing a complete player in how they do things. But that's just that's just my opinion. But if we're going to do this, I mean, we have to have guys say, you know, we're a ways away from having guys ready to do those kinds of things. Could a trade Turner do it? Yeah. So you'd have to, as a manager, decide who can actually get the ball down, who can't. And if you feel like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really wasting it out here because I don't I don't see Trout getting this done then yeah, you're going to swing away. You are. But I mean, I, I do, I do see what you're saying and, and it, it makes it a, t- a tough situation because we've not done this like they've done it from young ages, com- com- making a complete player. You know, I'm going to even say, cause I, I probably, and I hear what, what Dave's saying. I probably don't bunt Mike Trout, but I also have to wonder, does Mike Trout have as much information on the pitcher he's facing in that situation? And that, that's my point on the coaching as well, where how were we prepared in that? I, again, I think we were – if, if USA won, it was going to be we out-talented you, you know, more yeah. than, you know, we, we you know, just had all these things at our disposal. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I'm not so sure they – did they have really all the, all the data on – yes, obviously they're fa- facing you, Darvish, or someone like that in the eighth inning. They know about him. But if it's earlier in the game, a pitcher – you know, somebody needs to know what this guy throws other than what your eyeball saw in the dugout, you know, two seconds before you step in the box. I would, I would tell you, Joe, that I think this, this particular WBC has heightened all those kinds of things for, for the USA team is, is all the clubs. And I think it's, I think you'll see in 26, I think there'll be a few changes in terms of however they want to do it. But I think what you'll see is they'll try to figure out the best way they can go into this thing to win it because it created so much excitement. And, you know, it's like anything else. Yeah, it was an event, 
But I'm guaranteeing you, every one of those guys with the USA on their chest was not happy at the end of the ninth inning the other night against Japan. Oh, I they agree. I, I agree that they, you know, and they represented the U.S. very, very well. I'm just, you know, raising the point as uh, someone wanting USA to win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, no, and I agree. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I agree. I think I think from a lot of people that you know we didn't uh, win it. You know. Yeah, no, I think I think you're. I think what I'm saying is, I think your point is well taken. In that, I think in 26 you'll see some adjustments made about okay, how do we put our club together? Uh, what do we want to do? Hopefully, and, and I think the biggest key is that 30 clubs have buy-in on this thing and say you no, can have right. our guys because that that's. I mean, we need the best in the world, and I'm not knocking who we had out there, but you know, and I know as we looked at some of the some of the guys that there were there were better guys in spring training in some points, especially on the staff. I thought just, yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we could go on this and this is a really good topic and I, I hope it's entertaining for our audience because we are going to speak all sides. We're, we're going to raise the issues and the points we like and the points that we, we think they can improve on, but overall team USA, you know, did a, a, a great job. We just think they could have done a little better. Uh, but let's talk about kind of the elephant in the room for the WBC and to get the buy-in that Stan's talking about, and that is injuries. And obviously Edwin Diaz, the patella injury and the celebration, I, I noted about the Altuve broken hand. Then I just heard today before we came on it, Adam Wainwright, who was very vocal in support of the WBC and I thought was great in doing so, he's going to start the year in the IL. He got apparently uh, injured lifting weights in the weight room uh, during the WBC. So, Stan, how do you kind of address that? Is it just you, you have to look at when you play, there's risk. If you're in spring training, there's risk. Was there an inordinate higher number of injuries in the WBC than, let's say, regular spring training? How do you think the injury factor should be, uh, be addressed? Well, I, I think you just have to play it, and and there are and just look at the fact that there could be injury, right? But I mean, how, what are the chances that they're going to hop up and down as a team together, and then the guy's going to go down with a torn patellar tendon? I mean, what are the chances of that, right? That's just that's freakish. That's not something that you did because you were trying to cover first and whatever, and you tore. So the point is, there are going to be injuries, and any time you're in spring training, if Altuve was facing you barred, you know, and they wouldn't have because one's in Florida and one's in Arizona in spring training. But had they, had those guys been – could have happened in spring training. Those things – baseball injuries happen in baseball games. And so I – you know, does a owner like it? No, he doesn't like it. But, you know, they don't say much when they're there under their guidance or whatever, and they get hurt in spring training. They go, well, unfortunately, we had Soto pull a – you know, Afterwards, he goes back, and then he has an oblique going on now, right? But that was in spring training. That wasn't done the WBC. Uh, so I, I just think, you know, there are injuries, and I think that's part of baseball. And for some reason, for whatever, which seems to be a greater part of baseball now than in years past or, or back in a generation ago, and maybe that's not true even. Maybe, I don't know, but it seems like guys almost like sometimes overtrain. Uh, but the point being that I don't – I wouldn't let that – I don't think that's going to be an issue because, again, I think guys do get hurt in spring training. It's just that we've always had spring training and we've never really thought about, oh, wow, he got hurt in spring training. Well, he's got to be getting ready somewhere. So um, I, I don't see it as a problem going forward. Yeah. Dave, you ever thought on that? Yeah, I, I kind of kind of feel the same way, Stan, that I, you know, the, the the point, Kevin Kernan and I were talking about it off air and the the celebration was where he got hurt and you know we talked about the what Trey Turner hitting the grand slam and the whole team coming out at home plate and jumping around it's it's hard to predict those things and I would have to say if you know whether it's in the world baseball class or spring training they're playing baseball and I think when you start getting cautious about injury that's when you get hurt and you know those were freakish so I I hope that does not deter teams from putting their their players in because I never saw so much enthusiasm. I was surprised by it. Um, not just the fans, but the players and people watching it that really don't watch baseball in, in and around my world were asking me about the World Baseball Classic. And that's what baseball wants and needs is that enthusiasm. You hate to see guys get hurt because they're, you know, they're making millions of dollars. And that's their livelihood. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's part of it. And I, I just say we, we have to kind of chalk it up as freakish and it's going to happen in the game. And Hope that that doesn't again deter our enthusiasm moving forward for this game. In fact, I, I'd like to see him do it every year. To be honest, I don't know. That's probably not in the cards, though. No, it, it, but I hear your point, and I hear what you're getting at, Dave. And, and what I think, what I like, and I, I 
you know, interested in Stan's thoughts on this too, because we know it, when you're in spring training for six weeks, you're ready to pull your hair out after a few weeks. You know, it just gets so mundane. And then you have purpose. You have games with purpose and guys getting into it. Then you see competition. And that's why we love sports is competition. And, you know, baseball kind of created this kind of a lazy spring training is this, you know, you play golf, you get your work in, you build up, you get ready for the season. So it's like, that's what you're groomed to do in spring training. And then you ramp it up the final week to 10 days. And, and and still you're not even going full speed until that very end. And then you hit the ground running in opening day. And now the, the classic just gives you playoff atmosphere two weeks into camp. And I think that's, that's kind of what they juggle with. How do you balance that? Stan, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think if I think if going forward, if we if we're going to try to do you know again going to have one in twenty six, I think we really have to make sure that guys get they're picked early enough that they can get started early enough on their preparation for it, so that they're uh, ready to go with that level and that speed when that when that thing starts. Because as you say, in spring training, it's a slow build up. Where this, you need to get, you have to hit the ground running and ready to go. So. And the tough guy is going to be the guy who's been into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, especially pitching deep into the playoffs and yet turn around and be ready to go in, you know, March the 11th or whatever it is um, the next spring to try to, you know, try to play that, that thing. So there'll be some, have to be some, maybe some adjustments in, in that regard. But um, I, I just, you know, I think it's a great event. I, I, I'm with Dave in terms of how this thing, it, it, it it's an exciting thing. And I think as you talked about people, I've, I mean, I've people around here that call me about the world. Are you watching this? And I said, you better believe it. My, my, in fact, when uh, the Trey Turner hit the home, the, the grand slam, like 10 minutes later, I called my son and I said, Hey, did you see that? He goes, see it. We're still running around the room. We hadn't stopped running around. He's got three sons that are that, you know young and that they were, they loved it. So I think that's what, that's what it's about. I mean, we can have all these things, these things that say, well, we shouldn't do this or should do that. Well, somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's making a lot of money. This is baseball. I mean, we, we, we ran out in the yard and played it when we were eight, nine, 10 years old. We weren't worried about money or anything else. We just wanted to play and love. This is for a real love of the game. This shows the real love of the game that those players have. I don't care what they're making. And if they were making nothing, they love the game. And I think that's great for our sport. We need that kind of excitement in our sport, sitting on our hands and watching a game and, oh, that was nice. You know, no, we need the excitement that these people bring to it. And so I'm hopeful that this thing continues and we let everybody get involved and make it a huge, you know, it's a huge event worldwide. How can you beat it? I don't know. No, you can't. It, it, the popularity, it, again, like I noted earlier, this is the fans, the fans made it very clear what they think of it. And what I saw, well, like 48% of Japan watched the Korea-Japanese game, and we don't even have the numbers yet of what Japan-USA did. Maybe more than 50% of a nation watching that. Uh, you know, we, we had, you know, Lone Depot Park getting like a half a million people in, you know, 11 days. You know, they go they go a whole year and barely draw a million, you know, the Marlins. So it's like this, the fans let it let it be known. And I agree with you guys. And it's, I don't think you, you can, you can't play scared. Yeah. I get it. If you're a front office, you, you have to be concerned because your, your players out of your eyesight and out of your control, but you have to also trust that you, you, you play scared. That's when you get hurt. Right. I, I do the Jack McKeon theory, you know, more within activity than activity, you know, with uh, the Johnny Sane uh, thing with pitching more injuries within activity than activity. I, and I, I believe that. Well, I would tell you, I thought Benji Gill got it exactly right. I thought his statement was perfect. Baseball won. At the end of the day, for this whole event, baseball won. And I'm actually going to, can I get like, can I get fired up again for regular season baseball? Because I just watched really the greatest event I've seen in a long time regarding baseball. But baseball won. And I think that's cool. I think that's what we need. I think baseball needs to win a lot because you know, we have a generation of kids that seem to have kind of gone away from it. We need to bring them back. And that right there, that kind of spirit, the way they played was, was exciting. Yeah. And, and there's no doubt baseball won. And I, you know, this, it was an amazing event and it is, it is going to grow and get better. And 
you know, I, I think baseball is very pleasantly surprised with how it went. Now, how do we make the regular season win stand? I know baseball is hoping to, you know, build on this momentum with some new rules. And, you know, we got to see it in spring training. I was up there quite a bit. I'm actually going to go up to, to Jupiter and, and watch the Marlins on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and and wrap up spring watching them. I've already seen the new rules and such. Uh, the, the pitch timer is going to be very fascinating how pitchers manipulate that. Kind of your thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, I, I, again, I like I like. What you're going to like the pitch clock because I always said it's a game without a clock, right? Baseball is the last <laughs> game without a clock. Now we've got a clock, but I do like the fact that it it, it gets the game going. And if you you know as I, as I watched it the other day in spring training with the Rockies, is that it, it's not a hurried game as long as you get the ball and get you know what do you you know what is there to wait on? You get the ball, you get ready to throw, and the hitter gets in and let's go. So I like that rule. In fact, I think it's I say it's cut down the, the length of the game, which again, being a retired guy, I don't care if they play four hours. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> but I do I do realize that people got to get their kids home at night and all. So I'm fine with the clock. I'm fine with, I, I really like, you know, two guys on either no shifts where the guys run did now the athleticism comes back in the game because they got to move at second. I saw some plays the other day where the second baseman couldn't quite get to a ball he would normally get to. It creates more offense in the game. I don't like the rule about you can only throw over a couple of times to first base. I think I think that 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 to me is a little a little excessive. Other than that rule, I like what I'm seeing in the rule changes. I think it speeds the game up and gets the game going and gets people playing and and um, and again, I think it's the athleticism will come back into play. And now then you don't have to hit a three run home run. You can actually have a hit and run or hit the ball the other way and get some offense going. So I, I, I like it. I like what I'm seeing with it. You know, I, I saw a story, and I don't know the resolution yet, but already you're hearing that teams, that they may have to revise the replay rule a little bit, Stan. I don't know if you've heard this, but um, that baseball is looking at it because of the shifting rule, or, you know, the infielders with the feet on the dirt rule, that teams may try to, you know, if they a play goes against them, may try to win a, an appeal on a technicality that an infielder's, you know, heel might have been on the grass on the pitch. You know, before you know, before the ball was thrown, so I think they're kind of trying to revise a rule like that, and and that's why, you know, we had I think we mentioned before, you know, we we had Nick Green, the former infielder and friend of ours, uh, on the show as in the, you know was with the Marlins briefly. He noted that he thought they should have a little leeway on the grass. And I wonder if baseball will address that without you know obviously playing short left field or right field, but at least to maybe give them a, a couple of feet you know, to, to avoid any type of, imagine losing on a technicality, you turn a great play or something like that. And you say, oh, well, the, the shortstops, you know, you know, back heel was on three blades of grass. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think they will. I thought I saw where commissioner in, in the, the competitive committee was meeting and talking about like, you know, if somebody got a base hit and they walked, looked out there and they saw that the guy's toe was literally in line with the bag, which means he wasn't really on the right side of the bag. Would that be, and, and I think they're trying to address those issues so that those little technicalities will not be allowed. So they just go ahead and play the game. Um, you know, and, and I think that makes sense. I mean, I think, I think they'll work on that because at the end, and, and again, what's a new thing. And, and I was a real traditionalist guy, but as I look at the game and, and as I think some of these things are good, but I'm with you that they need to figure out how to not make the game slow down by let's go back and look at a ton of technicalities, whether he's, you know, his foot was a half inch, you know, on the grass or not. I think, I think they've got to give some leeway there. No, I totally agree. Uh, it will also, I think, stand with the pitchers, with the timer, the crafty ones. They're going to kind of, you know, I, I think like somebody, the crafty ones are going to know, like I could let go over to it three seconds ago. I could let go over to it nine seconds to go. You know, they're going to, they're going to manipulate that. They're going to freeze the hitter where he's kind of, you know, can I call the timeout? Am I going to be granted it? Is it going to be an automatic strike? Uh, that I'm thinking is going to be fascinating how that dynamic goes. And I think for, um, for some of the young pitchers, and I know the Marlins have a young pitching staff, that are they going to be able to think ahead as much? You know what I mean? Where you got to kind of have to know what the next pitch is now when you're when you're kind of working at a faster pace. And I wonder if their aptitude is is there. You know, just pitching a game, a pitch or two ahead. You know what I mean? Uh, setting up a hitter as the the game speeds up. 
We will tell you that 99% of pitchers, by the time they get to the big leagues, I don't care if they're 22, 3, or 4, by the time the pitch really leaves your hand as it gets into the hitting zone and you realize what's kind of going on, your mind's already into the next pitch by that time. I don't think that'll be an issue. I don't think they'll have to go, well, what do I do now? I think they've got a plan. And as they go into a hitter, kind of knowing a hitter, and then the minute the hitter starts to adjust or whatever, they adjust within it. I think that's an ongoing thing that happens just uh, just generically. And I, I think it'll, or I guess the term would be organically. And so I think, I don't think that'll be a problem at all. I think that, I think they'll, they'll work right into it. And I think it's probably good for them. They don't need to stand around forever and try to figure things. You know what you want to do, go do it. Stan, were you a circle around the mound guy after, you know, cause now that, that has to speed up. No, I, I, I always felt like as a pitcher, the last thing I want to do is take my eyes off the plate. Cause I was, so I'm trying to get my focus. So when I threw a pitch, if I happened to get a guy out, you know I mean? I'd turn, I, my focus should be on it. And if hitters are walking around, I'd say most of those guys check them. They're probably not great strike throwers. They need to be looking at the plate and getting focused because that's where they're going to work between the rubber and the plate. So that's, that's to me is where they need to be. Need to be yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. You know, it's uh, you know, these little things you kind of think of on the, on the fly because, because it is gamesmanship, you know, the, everyone's going to be thinking about this. Where's the little bit of an edge. How am I going to, because obviously throwing off timing is, is key. And, and how yeah. are they going to best do that? Uh, Dave, I think has one more and, we're going to get close to wrapping up. Dave, come on in. Yeah, and I wasn't going to ask this, but you mentioned something interesting, Stan, about you know the, the that pitcher, uh, you know, the time clock and pitcher getting back on on the hill as a hitter. I always like that that little uh, battle between the pitcher and the hitter of who could control the timing of the at bat or the next pitch. And you know, when pitchers would get into a rhythm and they were throwing strikes, and I do it now when I'm coaching, just to tell, hey, step out, don't let them get into a rhythm like that. And I, I see that as a a disadvantage for the hitters right now, but also a processing issue you mentioned where the pitchers, as soon as they let it go, their mind should be on the next pitch where I think it's going to be hard for the hitters to adjust to process just what happened and what has to happen next with, uh, with not being able to step out of the box as much, but I'd be anxious to yeah, see. I, but uh, I, think I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I did, I did see that. I did see that um, when I, when I saw one of the clubs I talked to out there, their concern was mainly on, that if the hitter has to have his eyes at the pitcher at eight seconds, right? That's what they said. At eight seconds, they had to, the, the hitter had to be, you know, engaging the pitcher at eight seconds. Well, if it's a veteran who doesn't have to be in the same sync and rhythm every pitch, I mean, he could literally wait till it says one, because he's looking right in at the clock and wait. Yeah. That guy starts sitting there at eight, eight seconds and has to wait till at one second the pitcher starts his delivery. So it can freeze the hitter a little bit. And I, one of the clubs I talked to said they're going to try to work with their hitter and try to get them to have a little something going on between the eight second, depending on how the pitcher is trying to work them. Yeah. Uh, between the eight second timing and then they'll say the one or two second time when the pitcher would start and try to get them to have a little something going on rather than just, you know, being real still and rigid at the plate, try to have a little something happening there. So I think that's going to be a, a give and take, you know, yeah. on that, in that battle. It's learnable. It's just another another variable. My, I guess my, my question was, I know we talked off the air and you mentioned it here. You were recently a guest down at the Rockies spring training. And I was wondering if you would share if you saw any prospects there that we should be paying attention to uh, in the in the Rockies organization. Yeah, a couple of kids they, they, that I saw that I really liked. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a typical Rocky kind of guy. It's that athletic uh, player. And, and, you know, they, they had a kid named Zach Veen, V-E-E-N, who's a left-hand hitter. I think he's a right-handed thrower, but anyway, he was a corner outfielder, uh, really athletic, good, easy swing. His feet are real good, and he's got a really good rhythm to hit. He looks like, to me, he's got a chance to be a really good player. And then they have a kid that's a little bit different, but he's really athletic. I think they took him maybe a year ago, named Montgomery, out of Pennsylvania. I think he was their first-round pick maybe last year. He was in. He gets a couple of big league at bats in spring training games, and he's a little kind of like Hunter Pence. You know, Hunter Pence was a little little different in terms of his approach and all that, but he's big like Hunter Pence. He's athletic. He's got a fast bat. They had him in center, and uh, it might be a power speed package in center field. And he looks to me like he's got a pretty good idea about the strike zone. Had a little something going on with his hands early, which. I think coming into the draft, people thought it was a hitch. Now I think they've softened it, and it looks kind of like a way to get his bat started. He looks to me like he's got a chance to be a good player, too. They've got some good, young-looking, athletic uh, position players in their camp. Yes, yeah, uh, Benny Montgomery, uh, you're talking about, uh, Stan. Yeah. Benny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Veen, yeah, he does throw right, uh, bats left. I saw Zach Veen play in the uh, 
Arizona Fall League last year. Yeah, like the kid can hit. I think he was a first rounder too, wasn't he? Let's double check. Um, yeah, he was the first round yeah, pick first a couple rounder. of years ago. Yeah, Veen, yeah. first rounder, yeah. and Montgomery was a first rounder as well in 21. So, yeah. Yeah, they're um, good, good looking. Yeah, it's always fun to see them, right? The, those those kids on the rise and, and uh, you know, the, the next wave of, of good talent on the way. Um, but, yes, Stan, this is, uh, as always, my friend, we, we appreciate you always. I know a short notice we got you on this week. Uh, we always appreciate your insight, and you're always welcome back, and we're going to have you on as often as we can. And as uh, I know, you're, you're always on the go, and that's what I like about you during retirement. You're, you're seeing it all. You're driving around the country. You're, you're going out to Arizona for the fun of it. And, um, and you know, when are you going to be in Florida? Yeah, I got to figure that one out. I've got to get to Florida at some point because there's a lot of good baseball down there. So now we're a little too late for you know spring training, but I'm I'm sure I'll find my way down there sometime pretty soon. <laughs> well, we'll hook up when you get down here, Dave. Any final announcements? Just thank our audience again. Fourteen thousand three hundred faithful subscribers. Keep this thing growing. Uh, we'll keep bringing you content. We're listened to in seventy plus countries now. Grassroots all the way to major league front offices, and now the global game has has hit our network so we're, we're getting pretty we're getting into the places we need to be in but trying to build better baseball iqs keep hitting us up on social media we'll keep responding to you and stan if you don't mind i'm going to officially throw your hat in the ring for czar of usa baseball when that comes up <laughs> i like it i like it all right <laughs> thanks dave thanks again to stan meek that will do it again uh you know stan next time we talk the season's going to go on so that'll be in a few weeks or so so uh we'll, we'll have plenty to share but uh, Opening day is uh, next Thursday, everybody. That we just put a ribbon on the World Baseball Classic. Uh, we we touched on a lot of topics. I thought were very important to, to mention. Everyone, we thank our audience. We thank all you guys for tuning in. Uh, we are building those bigger and better baseball IQs, and uh, we are out of here for today. <laughs>